Welcome to the Future of ERP podcast from SAP. My name is Richard Howells. I'm the Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, IQ. IQ, over to you. Hello, everyone. My name is Oak Hilgar. I'm a blogger, marketer, and podcaster in the area of ERP and supply chain at SAP. And today we're going to discuss the increasingly popular subscription-based business model and recurring revenue with our guest, Isabel Rusa. Welcome, Isabel. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. And hello, everyone. My name is Isabel Rusa, and I'm Chief Solution Expert in charge of the strategy and the go-to-market of the SAP solutions for quote to cash so I've been in the market now for more than 20 years, living and breathing business model transformation. And I'm truly excited to be with you today to give you some light on the, what's going on in this space and commenting on the growing popularity of subscriptions actually across industries. Thank you, Zapal. We're also excited to have you here today. So let's start by gaining a common understanding of this term. What is subscription economy? Thanks for uh, starting with this question, Ocube, to set really a common understanding here. Literally, the definition given is an arrangement to receive something, which can be a product or service, regularly by paying in advance. And this is the term which now everybody is getting, even more so with the surge of streaming services that most of us have been experiencing during the pandemic, from Netflix to Disney+. Plus. So. This notion of subscription started really with the services delivered first by our utility providers. So basically, you would pay a monthly fee, which would be revised based on real usage, sometimes like every six months or so. Then with the advent of internet and later mobile phones in the 90s, subscriptions became more sophisticated. You can think of introducing prepaid bundles of friends and families, as well as usage-based needs based, for instance, on the number of gigabytes which would be downloaded. So soon these companies realized that they were ill-equipped to cope with this evolution. And let me tell you on that a personal story to illustrate this. A bit more than 20 years ago, I was a product marketing at a French telecom service provider called Orange. And I was given the assignment of launching a creative offering of cloud managed services for enterprise messaging. And it was based on the Lotus messaging. So after, you know, three weeks of design, hard work on my business plan and crunching numbers on my Excel, I went to IT. And the verdict was, okay, it will take us three months to implement this creative offering and for a cost of 1 million francs or the equivalent of 1 million francs at that time was 150k euros. So results, I went back to Flatsy with obviously a big frustration and a pricing model, which was finally not meeting the customer's expectation in terms of flexibility and adaptability. I love the fact that you gave the example of the telephone companies. The data usage in my family is a constant discussion about three quarters through the month, every month. And you also talked about the business example that you gave. So let's fast forward to today. And we're seeing the as a service and subscription model everywhere in our everyday lives as consumers. For example, I don't remember the last time I bought a CD or a DVD because myself and my family, we stream everything, which means, in fact, I'm paying for all of the DVDs and CDs by default. Um, I'm also getting our shaving 
supplies on subscription. So there's so many things that we can get as a service. And I see the world of B2B catching up, but which industries are leading the way in the space and which should be looking to see best practices from? Richard, so you get your shaving supplies and I could get my beauty box, but actually I prefer subscribing to the wine club. Maybe can't escape my French foods here. <laughs> so going back to your question, utilities and telecom have been definitely leading in this space. However, more and more industries are moving into it. And first, I think this is important to, un to understand why this trend is becoming popular. So first, we are experiencing a move actually from an economy of abundance, which was at the top in the middle of the 20th century, to an economy of scarcity. And the consumer is conscious that products must be shared and optimized in this new world. And I think it's even more true for the younger generation ready to buy the service delivered by the product. This explains why subscriptions and pay-per-use are getting so popular. And let's be frank, subscriptions bring recurring revenue, which please investors because of the predictability of the model. And finally, crises are accelerating this move. The pandemic has brought its lot of services, such as streaming, gaming services, of course, but also services such as e-learning and online help services. And unfortunately, for the next five years, the geopolitical, economical, and healthcare uncertainty to come ahead of us will continue to disrupt the established business models. So... Let's illustrate by giving different ways or use cases of, of adoption to subscriptions and at the same time give some more illustration of industries. So you can think first of just adding subscriptions on top of core products. And this is the case for equipment providers in industrials as well as life science. We have these German customers selling individual items of a window to builders who are assembling these parts. And what they have been doing, they developed an application to simplify the assemblage and the modeling of these windows, and they sell it as a service. So that's the first type of use case, quite simple, and just adding subscriptions on top of your core product. Second case, a bit more complex, is to bundle such as subscriptions with a product and the service, and we know that bundles have helps retaining the customers. So take printing as a service, for instance. You have a printer, you have the maintenance of a printer, you may have the replenishment of the ink cartridge, and after paying a one-off fee for the installation, you have a subscription switch may include X number of printed pages per month and certainly applying a different price based on is it a black, black and white page or a color page. And you may even think of silver and premium bundles based on the volume of pages. So that's the second use case that I wanted to highlight here. It's bundle of product, service and subscriptions. Then if you go further, then you have the everything as a service model. You are not selling individual items anymore. Everything is included as a service. So famous example that I like to name is Adobe back in the 2012, actually. 
they they moved entirely their license model into software as a service. Um, so here that's in high tech, but take the example of Rolls-Royce engine for planes, not selling the engines to airlines, but they sell by number hours of usage. So it's powered by the hour. And also you take these very expensive machines in the hospitals like scanners or MRI, propose as well as, as a service. And examples go on and on as creativity is unbridled now for this. So finally, you have uh, these disruptive digital native companies as well, and they start directly with digital assets. And many of them have been disrupting the markets. The most famous ones that we like to name are Netflix, Spotify, in the digital entertainment market. But you have also Amazon Prime, for instance, in logistics, Uber in transportation, and all these car sharing or multimodal transport examples for mobility as a service. More and more companies benefit from the subscription economy by either moving entirely their business model to the subscription-based model, or some of them are using the combination of the service and subscription and so on. So my question is, do you believe that the companies are ready to embrace this, this change, this world, and transform their business model? I mean, there has to be some showstoppers, right? Well, so showstoppers are quite numerous, in fact. Companies are going through the same issues that telecom had 20 years back. They are trying to tweak their existing order-to-cash process to handle these subscriptions. And they are drawing in skews pros with too many product catalogs, for instance. They are unable to create battles or product service projects sometimes in professional service with these uh, human resources and subscriptions. They have challenges in collecting the usage data from different equipments to monetize this data. Some are even still using Excel as a pricing table. There's no single source of truth for the financial data of the customers. And as they build siloed business process each time they launch a new service, then you know they can't provide a converging voice. So they provide as many invoices that they have of offerings. So all of this is ending in lack of reactivity to introduce new offerings. I was telling you my story, my personal story, where it, it was taking three months to get this change request. But basically, that's the average time. It's 90 days to launch a new offering with, with an incumbent quote-to-cash process. Significant revenue leakage as well. So it's often around 3%, but quite often also we hear about 5 to 10% when we have these siloed processes. We know some of the companies who have like 60 different billing processes. Brand damage as well due to high rates of dispute. And actually, it's the number one challenge named by 59% of the companies, according to this analyst firm that we work with, MGI Research, despite years of and billions of dollars invested in their ERP and billing systems. And challenge as well with compliance with revenue recognition rules. It's good that you mentioned some of the challenges because we recently had a session on this topic on our other podcast series, The Future of Supply Chain. And in that one, we had Patrick Crampton Thomas talking about it from a supply chain perspective. And one of the examples he gave is how we can leverage sensor data. If we put sensors on the equipment and the products, we can capture data about usage 
from the supply chain. But this service economy and service management is an end-to-end business process that spans several business areas because it includes the sales, the finance, and the supply chain. But I would imagine the traditional accounting methods that most, that most financial systems have were developed prior to servitization of products. So they were probably more suited to a product-based economy rather than a service-based economy. So how are companies and their business systems adapting to these changes? And what additional requirements are needed in the quote-to-cash process that can help overcome these challenges in the subscription world? Yeah, I mean, who is better placed than SAP to understand and feel the pains of all these companies who want to embrace this subscription world and economy and are stuck with their existing ERP system, which have been built for products at the first place? So they need to power these systems with an additional number of capabilities, such as, so first, creating offers that meet their financial targets. So what are these offers? Modeling of these different pricing of subscriptions, which is spoke about usage-based, usage you know, all types of criteria for this usage, of course, and outcome-based pricings now. The second item here, it's being able to handle quote and order management of any combination of product, service, projects, and subscriptions. So we often think that, okay, that's quoting for subscriptions because we go into the subscriptions, but we don't, when you have to deal with bundles, then you still need to quote at the same time your product and your service and potentially even your project. So all of this needs to be handled and orchestrated afterwards for the fulfillment part and for the provisioning of these orders, okay? Then comes to the customer contract lifetime, life cycle management. So what the customer is going to expect here is to be able to modify and change their subscription contract because to the contrary of the product, it's a one-off order. The contract will last over maybe three years of the subscription contract and hopefully more because service providers want the customer to renew. They have to build a long-lasting customer relationship. And in that case, customer contract lifecycle management is key for that. There's also potentially also management of entitlements. The user rights of accessing the service might also be important. You were talking about monetizing this data coming from sensors. So what about usage or consumption plans? We must be able to collect the usage data. And when you start to think about data, then this can come in very high volume, actually. And so you need, the platform need to rate these high volume data transactions. Provide a convergent voice or unified customer bill. Settle partners for ref share agreements. It's the same when you think about these bundles of products, services, and subscriptions. Quite often, you may want to have a partner providing one piece of this service. It can be a content, it can be application, iTunes, we know, we all know their main business model. So how are you going to share revenue with these partners? And so you need to settle partners as well. Then automating the whole subledger accounting and collection process with a full breadth of payment capabilities as well. And when I say payment capabilities, it goes from, okay, of course, cash management and credit card 
but you might want to put in place installment plans, defer payments, right? All of that needs to be also handled in that case. I spoke about handling complex revenue recognition rules that come from subscriptions, such as for prepayment, for usage plans. And finally, not forgetting using the insights with the analytics from all this consumer data and financial data, actually, to look back into more intelligent pricing models or offerings. Mm -hmm. So Richard's question was from a business perspective and mine is going to be from a consumer perspective. Over the last decade, we have seen constant increase in the number of industries and companies adopting the subscription-based business model. And my question is, how does this change the consumer behavior? So actually, that's an interesting question as you can actually look at it from different angles. As I already said, more and more consumer wants to pay for what they use. So therefore, their change in behaviors have led to introducing this usership behavior rather than ownership. Okay, that's the first point. At the same time, the service provider needs to change their customer relationship in their business model. So when they were selling product, most of the time they had an inter indirect model going through resellers. Now, most of them want to go direct to consumers. So they have to know how to handle these consumers. And they go from one of sale to long lasting relationship where the important KPIs is customer lifetime value. And also the consumer become actors of their subscriptions. You know, I was telling how important it is for them to have full control on their contract, to change, to pose their subscriptions, to add options. And they may want to put some alerts or some thresholds on the usage saying, if I'm getting to this amount of gigabytes used, please send me an alert because I want to stop that. And finally, service providers may influence, and that's the interesting part, actually, the way their consumers will consume with the pricing that they will propose. So what's happening with the energy shortage currently, or yet with the circular economy trend, consumers are adapting their behavior to peak and off-peak periods, for instance, to wash their dish or their clothes or their heating systems, right? And consumers also will lease products or yet go for paper use, starting with car sharing as well in big cities to reduce carbon footprint and also to contribute to this movement of reusing and recycling. It's clear that this isn't just a fad and the service economy is here to stay. So... As we see this, I believe, here for the long term, how do you see this evolving? What are some of the predictions that you think that the service economy will go to in the future? Yeah, so you mentioned already, uh, Richard, the usage base with the growth of IoT. So all this data generated by sensors on board of cars, machine coolers. So how are companies going to monetize them? You can take the example of your favorite connected watch. I don't know if you do sports, but might be uh, associated with a sports subscription. Imagine how this data can be monetized by the provider and to whom it can be sold if you have been registering all your local trail, for instance, when you go running or your dietary habits 
this can be sold back by your service provider to all different types of companies. So that's the same with connected cars, reselling the behavioral usage data to the car insurance, right? So that's one trend here of inventing new business models based on all this collected data. Then the trend we start to see is outcome-based model as well. So an, an extension of IoT monetization possibilities, in fact. So customers will pay for a guaranteed outcome serving their needs, not for the usage, but for the guaranteed outcome of the usage. I was talking about Rolls Royce. So it's an engine, an engine guaranteeing to run for X number of hours, right? You can think about air conditioning as a service by Kaiser Compressor as well. So that's the servitization model you were mentioning previously, and which definitely provides greater customer value. And finally, the last point, I was mentioning the economy of scarcity we are getting into, and the circular business model is growing. And as I said previously, new business models will emerge with these evolutions. Isabel, as we come to the end of the podcast, maybe we can provide little advice to our listeners. So in your various roles at SAP, you must have worked with hundreds of companies that have transitioned to the subscription-based business model. What do you see as the key success criteria for companies that want to embark on subscription journey? Yeah, so my first advice would be, okay, step back and look at all aspects of your business model. And for this, you can use a great business model innovation framework from Osterwalder, for instance. But first thing, who are my customers? Am I going direct to consumers, for instance? In that case, I may have to be careful about yeah, contract management, of course, but also the high volume of transactions that I will have to deal with, right? Second, what is my value prop for these segmentations that I've been working on? What type of customer relationship will I put in place? What is my use case? What are my channels? What are the partners that I'm going to work with? What are my pricing models based on this different offering and my cost structure with my new KPIs? I was mentioning, of course, customer lifetime value, but when you introduce subscription, then you have to deal with annual recurring revenue, monthly recurring revenue, and all these new financial KPIs, APIs. So then, you know, brainstorm on one of the key changes to make to deliver this new value prop and be on target with these new KPIs. First thing, the technical change, rethink your quote to cash process. So work on the best solution blueprint for your use case. And please don't underestimate the integration points such as with a lead-to-code process. You have leads coming from your preferred marketing platform or CRM going into your quote-to-cash. What's the integration point? What's the integration point with your fulfillment process? What's the orchestration of your order management? And don't underestimate as well the scalability need to grow with your business. So scalability also across geographies with different taxation and regulatory needs in that case. So after this, looking at these technical changes and challenges, looking at the organizational change, executives should be involved because that's a strategic transformation, right? And which comes when you touch on your quote to cash process, actually you should have a transversal organization because you touch different audience within the company. Quote to cash, quote is sales organization, 
cash is finance. And in the middle, you have IT to deal with scalability, with integration and agility. And my last advice would be be careful at the big bank in your transformation. I think we have been hearing a lot of customer cases and the success behind was to start small, test with your new subscriptions model, maybe on a new line of business or product line first, and be ready to fail. It's, fi it's fine, but fail fast and be agile to react, right, with your platform. And my last advice would be learn from best practices on market, even if it's across industries, because we have all these industries jumping into the subscriptions now, and there's a lot to share. Isabel, I can't believe it, but we're 28 minutes into this discussion. It's flown by. So one final question. If you had to summarize in a sentence or two, in your opinion, when you take into account the subscription economy, what is the future of ERP? Challenging one. So maybe the key point in these periods of unprecedented change is that the speed is becoming the new black. So therefore... The future of ERP is giving companies the core foundation to embrace any combination of business models so they can adapt quickly. Creativity, agility, and scalability will be crucial to delivering greater customer value. Isabel, I didn't expect anything less, but this has been a great conversation, so thank you very much. And thanks everyone for listening. Please mark us as a favourite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from IQ and I, thank you for discussing the future of ERP.